The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, let me do this. So my name is Joran, and I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo. It's great to see you all here today. I really appreciate you all being here for this talk. So when I started thinking about this talk a while ago, I noticed that I would, I would be giving the talk on June 18th, which my calendar app tells me is Father's Day. In Roshi's talk on Mother's Day a few weeks ago, she noted that there are qualities that we fundamentally associate with mothering, aside from all the hearts and flowers and the ways the holiday has been commercialized. Hopefully, in our childhoods, we received good enough mothering, love, attention, care, available to return to when we need it. As Roshi explored the quality of mothering in Zen practice, she noted that in Zen practice, samadhi holds this quality as a fundamental connection that's available to return to unconditionally, being able to let go into a form of unconditional motherly love. So here it is, Father's Day. In our gendered societal system, the father is not only the male parent, who may well do some of the work of mothering. Within the patriarchal conventions of our society, the father is also attributed qualities of being the one who leads, has a job, provides material well-being, social standing, reputation for the family, maybe. This patriarchal concept aside, I thought about extending Roshi's metaphor of the quality of mothering Zen and Samadhi, perhaps in this parental paradigm of our Zen practice, fathering might be considered the nurturing of true expression, the expression of the moment that arises from Samadhi, the true expression that arises from non-grasping. Moment by moment, what is it? Just this? And now this. The word expression means pressing out, putting out, a form of output. Expression as putting out, possibly to be heard by others. Of course, the village Zendo is also Daitokuji, the temple of true expression. In this talk, I'm also attempting to talk about true expression as the true expression of the arising and vanishing that happens every moment. And for that, I'm referring to the koan from the Book of Serenity, Woshan's arising and vanishing. Woshan asked Yanto, when arising and vanishing go on unceasingly, what then? Yanto shouted and said, whose arising and vanishing is it? 
There are various implications in, in Luoshan's question. When arising and vanishing, go on unceasingly, what then? Some of these might be, my thoughts are arising and vanishing unceasingly. How can I stop them? Or this arising and vanishing goes on unceasingly. Things just keep on happening to me. Or my mind won't stop. Or the world won't stop. There's also the element of speed. A million times a second. This arising and vanishing is too fast. I can't keep up with this continual change. Make it stop. And the element of time. The present keeps becoming the past. I want to hold on to it, but I can't. Yanta's response to Luoshan is, whose arising and vanishing is it? In the flow of arising and vanishing, going on unceasingly, who are you? Who am I? What is your true expression? As I was getting into writing the writing of this talk to explore the awareness of arising and vanishing and the emergence of true expression that is set out in this poem, I had some bad news. I heard some weeks ago that my younger brother Bill died suddenly. As the shocking news sunk in, I wondered how to reconcile working on this talk with this loss. I wondered how to be most compassionate toward Bill, whether to leave him out of the talk or not. I wondered if I should not do the talk at all because I needed more time to process this loss. Certainly, his death was a devastating instance for me of arising and vanishing. And certainly, the time since I learned of his death has been an experiencing of arising and vanishing going on unceasingly. Whose arising and vanishing is it? It's Bill's. And it's the swarm of feelings, confusion, sadness, Grief, anger, regret, numbness, remembering, forgetting, arising and vanishing unceasingly. I decided to go a talk ahead with this talk anyway, although I don't really know if it's the right thing to do. I dedicate this talk to Bill in the spirit of not knowing. During the days when smoke from the Canadian wildfires was blanketing New York, I heard an airplane passing overhead and looked up. It wasn't very high on its way to landing at one of the Queen's airports, but I could barely see it, obscured by the hazy air. There was a strange and disturbing sense of emergency, literally the world on fire. My brother Bill was a week shy of his 61st birthday. We don't yet have the full coroner's report, but he died somehow from the complications of alcoholism. The family he leaves behind, his wife and two college-aged children, are in shock and filled with pain. 
although he was beloved by them and many others. At the same time, they've been through hell for a long time. None of us are completely surprised by the news. So much was hidden in plain sight. Growing up, Bill had learning disabilities, which were diagnosed as ADHD, but not really addressed further in the standardized educational systems of the 1960s. Uh, smart, funny, athletic, a leader, daring, proud. He was a social success. But in attention-based activities in school and home, his attention issues made it hard to finish things to achieve academically. He had a hard time in a family and a society that only recognized certain kinds of accomplishment. He was frustrated and developed a temper. His frustrations were interpreted as behavioral issues. How is it when arising and vanishing go on unceasingly? What then? How is it when we become attached to this experience of coming and going as only loss? The anxiety of not being able to grasp. Apply, stay with something, produce. While we practice non-grasping in Zen practice, ADHD puts its own particular spin on coming to terms with the arising and vanishing of every moment, in which a person may have a harder time taking hold of thoughts enough to even begin to practice letting them go. Maybe when grasping, grappling so fundamentally with the expectations of others, the space of arising and vanishing is filled with overwhelming anxiety. On some level, that may be what we all experience and grapple with, of course. Our teenager, Astrid, struggles with ADHD too. Assessed with high intelligence and low processing speed, the result is low output. I've had the chance to see up close and sense Astrid's troubles with attention, starting and not being able to finish, having a great idea and not being able to realize it, the experience of having a lot going on in your mind and not being able to translate it into form is frustrating and takes a major toll on self-esteem. Anxiety builds. This year, we tried to dig deeper into Astrid's troubles in school with the help of her amazingly skilled teachers. What exactly is going on when Astrid can't do an assignment? How is her mind working or not working? How is the process of thoughts arising and vanishing playing out moment by moment with, say, getting through a series of math problems or even a really cool brainstorm for a short writing project that's filled with edgy language that will make adults uncomfortable. Her teachers uh, are bodhisattvas, special ed teachers these days are bodhisattvas with huge wisdom and compassion and many techniques and uh, practices for helping students with ADHD stay with their minds, the processes in their minds. 
when arising and vanishing go on unceasingly, like a video game, what then? In our production-oriented culture, arising and vanishing are understood in the terms of production and consumption, buying and selling, investing and seeing returns. There's a demand for the three-act structure, introduction, development, and a moral to the story. The thought arises, and we instantly try to steer it in a certain direction, or judge it, critique it, follow it. There's the thought, our reaction to it, feelings, assessment, fear or pleasure. Another thought, perhaps leading somewhere else to escape the first one. When I become attached to the sense that the thought is me, I move on to the question of what does it mean about me? And practice offers a way to accept the moment, teeming as it is, the rising and vanishing, a way to experience the self and the things in one's life, a stillness within constant change, my attachment to who I am or who I'm not, is loosened by coming to terms with the process of continual change. This koan has a verse followed by a commentary that gives us an image of this kind of coming to terms with the process of continual change. <clears throat> Severing old entangling vines opening up a fox lair. A leopard covers itself with fog to change its spots. A dragon rides the thunder to change its bones. Bah! A rising and vanishing in profusion. What is it? In this verse, a leopard covers itself, a leopard covers itself with fog to change its spots. Even though the leopard's spectacular feature is its elegant spotted coat, its true expression is not only about having spots, it's about allowing them to change. A dragon's true expression is not only about dragon power, but about its cataclysmic capacity to change form. In the commentary, Yamzi says, a sage is distinct as a tiger. His markings are clearly outstanding. A superior man is distinct as a leopard. His markings are fine. An eloquent man is distinct as a fox. His markings are clumped together. A fox changes into a leopard. A leopard changes into a tiger. Obscuring its spots with fog, the leopard forgets its leopard self in order to be able to change, to become a fox or a dragon. Arising and vanishing is this opportunity to change. So if we get stuck in arising and vanishing as a form of loss, as a form of absence, as losing oneself, this is terrifying. But in one song's commentary on this poem, he goes on to elaborate on arising and vanishing in relationship to the fundamentally constant principle. Wansong relates another instance of Yanto's teaching, 
Haven't you seen how Rui Yan asked Yanto, what is the fundamentally constant principle? Yanto said, moving. Rui Yan said, how is it when moving? Yanto said, you don't see the fundamentally constant principle. The fundamental principle of the movement of the mind might be a constant distraction, but in just letting it move, not attaching to it, we may have moments of not thinking about it. We just move through expression. In the aftermath of Bill's death, a memory keeps drifting into my mind of a road trip that my father took me and Bill on during spring vacation one year. I must have been 14 and Bill maybe nine. It's one of my only memories of doing something alone with Bill and our dad in a rarefied space apart from the drama of my other three siblings and dynamic mother. We moved from the contentious family system. We were a quiet trio. I think Bill and I each felt safe with my father. In the midst of the confusion of growing up, I think we each felt seen and accepted for who we were with my father. That was my father's gift in relationships. We took those days to drive from New Haven down to Lancaster in the Pennsylvania Dutch country and onto Harper's Ferry at the beginning of the Blue Ridge Mountains in West Virginia. I guess it was an American history tour, but in my mind, it was just beautifully uneventful. Bill and I did not have much in common, five years apart. Myself, a bookish, angst-ridden teenage introvert, and Bill, a wild, hyperactive kid, often in trouble. But in this memory, there was no fighting or the harassment that flavored our big family's times together. In some sense, the memory is one of the three of us experiencing psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott's paradigm of being alone in the presence of the other, allowed to have our experiences separately in the benign space of the relationship. Something like sitting in Zazen with others. I've been thinking about the modes of defensiveness that keep us from true expression in the moment by moment of arising and vanishing, the lingering effects of our being existence. Here we are at Daitokuji, the temple of true expression, committed to staying present in the midst of arising and vanishing, going on unceasingly. In practice, I aspire to be a fox who vanishes to become a leopard, who vanishes to become a dragon, who vanishes to become Joran. In the poem, this change is not a gentle process. It's traumatic for the fox to be intruded on in her lair. It's mortifying, maybe, for the leopard to lose their spots. It may be agonizing for the dragon to change its bones. That sounds profoundly painful. The inexhaustible dragon's roar, who am I in constant change? Arising today is the chance to honor our fathers and to allow the idea 
the role of the father itself to change into anyone with any gender expression who nurtures our true expression. It's also the chance to mourn the banishing of this very moment and the loss of those leopards and dragons who have nurtured and supported us or maybe also failed us or hidden from us or done all of it.